Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Tapeheads, 80s music and beyond. I'm Todd in Portland, Oregon. And I'm Blaine in Phoenix. So Hold on real quick. You may have noticed that our theme song is a little bit different oh, this right. time. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Um, this is our second time using it, but there was a theme song that I took and I made in about 10 or 15 minutes, literally. <laughs> I'm not lying. <laughs> uh, that's even counts the time that I mixed it. Anyway. Well, anyway, I sent it off to Todd, and, and he put some guitars on it just to make it a little more interesting. Yeah. Added about six layers of guitars. Less Paul and How Scott. long did that take you? Took me not too long. I would think about half an hour, maybe. We've got a good 45 minutes into this theme <laughs> song. Yeah, well, I kind of had the anyway. idea worked out in advance. So by the time I actually just, you know put it down on tape it was like oh it's pretty easy still might read and, and as a matter of fact it's taken from a song that uh that todd wrote eons ago yeah. uh, called running from the gun that was from our that it was kind of a joke well anyway that was from our first uh recording session i think our first one yeah there we go <laughs> so what are we talking about today todd we are talking about chicago stay the night and, uh, Stay the night. Yeah, great song. I was a little surprised. This one you chose. I was a little surprised yeah, by did. this one. I did. It's a great <laughs> song, but I wasn't expecting you know, it at all. I, uh, I'm not, didn't really want to specifically talk about Stay the Night, but I kind of want to talk about the whole left turn that Chicago did. Uh, kind of after, um, what was the name of the guy that shot himself? The guy who shot himself? Yes. In Chicago? Yes. I don't know. Excellent. Well, that's a great way to start off. (laughs) (laughs) I apparently you did more research on him than I did. Um, I I want. It's funny you should mention the the point of change because it seems like the majority of the songs we've done so far have been a band at a point of change. When they hit, certainly yes. When they got Trevor Rabin and completely changed their sound that had been the same for fifteen years. Certainly Van Halen, which was their last, Hot for Teacher was their last song and video and stuff, and they did with David Lee Roth before they switched over to having Sammy Hagar in the band. Uh, let's see. What was the other one that we just did? Tears for Fears, Woman in Chains, where that was- Well, a lot of that this- was a very, So we seem to gravitate toward points of change in a band's career. And a lot of this is because the 80s was really a different era in the way recordings were done. So that probably has a lot to do with it, and the way people's taste changed, and people kind of had to adapt or die hmm. with the '80s re- kind of recording. Um. So, uh. So Chicago, the guy who died was Terry Kath. Hmm. What did he do? And he was the guitarist. He was a guitarist, kind of and main songwriter of Chicago back in the '70s, and he was playing, uh, was cleaning his gun or something, and. He said to his friend, well, what do you think? I'm not going to shoot myself. And then he actually shot himself. So he didn't mean to do it, but, uh, you know, do that and you're dead kind of thing. He was kind of one of their main songwriters. And they kind of, they did a couple albums after that, but they really kind of went downhill. As a matter of fact, the album Chicago 14. It really was like somebody took a dump 
on the vinyl cutting lathe and sent that out. It, the yeah, well, you hate vinyl so anyway. bad. What was that? You hate vinyl anyway. Well, <laughs> okay, with that, that has nothing to do. It, it really is not a good album. Um, I know that one of the members, there was just a lot of drugs and alcohol going on, you know, partially because of their friend had died. But uh, Columbia, who was their record company, basically wanted to dump them. This this album didn't it didn't even go gold. Wow! And Columbia cut ties with them. Actually, I think he, they gave them like two million dollars to buy out their contract. I don't think I've ever even heard that album. Uh, it's not good. They never released. Well, in, any of the singles that they released off of it did not even do anything. Uh, matter of fact, one of the songs the radio people didn't even play, and they kind of took it back off the market. Chicago fourteen. Was no good. Columbia wanted them gone, gave them money, and they took that money. And they said, well, let's get a uh, a producer who's going to change the way we do things, who's a really good producer, and let's spend the money on that, and let's just kind of rebuild ourselves and just kind of get back into the groove. So they signed with Warner. So they decided to, that they were going to um, get David Foster to produce them. And he'd worked with and, he'd worked with uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, huge hits. He wrote uh, "After the Love Is Gone." Killer song. He also was a co-writer of "Writing of the Tubes." She's a beauty. Oh, where really? Yeah, wow. and he did uh, some of the Boz Skaggs hits. He co-wrote some of that stuff. Nice. And later on, I mean, this David Foster got huge. He'd start working with Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, Josh Groban, Michael Bublé, yes. um, to name a few. And I think he got like he has like sixteen Grammys or something crazy. Tons of movie soundtracks. Yeah. Starting anyway. In the 80s. Titanic? No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, Bodyguard. Um, oh yeah. yeah, he did the Bodyguard. He did Saint Elmo's Fire. He did Secret of My Success, which is a great soundtrack. Not a great movie, but great soundtrack. Anyway, so they got David Foster to come in and, and be their producer, and he really changed the way oh Chicago gosh. was for the '80s. Yes. Before Chicago had all these horns in it and just kind of normal written songs, you know. And he kind of turned them into this adult-oriented rock ballad uh, band. And it wasn't so much that all their songs were ballads, but they were the ones that were the hits. And they were the ones that they released. So for the next album, which was Chicago 16, he brought in basically Toto come in and do the session tracks. <laughs> of course. Yeah, he brought in... Uh, yeah, who did he bring in? Three members of Toto. Um I thought I wrote this down. It was like David Page. Mm -hmm. Keyboard um, player. Uh, Steve Lukather, gotta be. Steve Lukather, yes. And uh, not Je not Jeff Porcaro. Who's the other Porcaro? Steve Porcaro. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> he brought in those members of Toto to kind of play a bunch. But Toto, and it wasn't so much it was the Toto band, but most of the band of Toto were session musicians. And he had worked with him before. He brought him in. 
and uh, kind of got in there and had him play on the album. One of the things that David Foster did was he got rid of the brass section of Chicago. And, you know, th- that was one of the things that made Chicago stand out. You know, Chicago and brass construction. <laughs> No. Anyway, Chicago, they had hits where they were using uh, all these brass sections, and it was pretty unique. But David Foster didn't like it. As a matter of fact, Peter Cetera, who was their bass player, he didn't like brass either. And they kind of almost got rid of the brass sound on that album. And one of the quotes he's... This is one of the quotes from David Foster. I had to have the job of telling Chicago that the songs they had written for Chicago 16 were terrible and they had to start all over again when i got in the room and they played me their song and i was going like these are nothing like what i remember you guys these are terrible like what happened to you guys there's a great i'm sure you were about to mention this but there's a great documentary about david foster on netflix and i mean we're saying this album is this this we're saying this show is dedicated to chicago but it really could be a david foster episode <laughs> Because he's the real, like... Yeah, he really designed Chicago of the 80s. He designed Chicago of the 80s. And a lot of the members of Chicago are not happy about what he did. I mean, he completely changed them. Well, he's a raging, raging egomaniac. And uh, just kind of throwing his weight around in the studio with them. He's like, oh, you're not playing on this uh, on this song. Telling the keyboard player, you're not playing. We don't need you on this. And he's like, you can't talk to me like that. <laughs> Jeez. Yes, I can. <laughs> Yeah, so a matter of fact, he told the 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 brass section, you guys need to learn to play keyboards or you're not gonna have anything to do in the videos or on stage. <laughs> if you you know, if you want to be in the band during these songs, you gotta learn to play keyboards. Not necessarily that they actually played keyboards on the album, but you know, they played it on the stage when they weren't doing the songs that they played on and also in the videos. I immediately connected with Peter Cetera. We formed a great writing bond and a great kinship, and Peter and I became the songwriters of the group. I would listen to him, and he would actually listen to me. And I think that was unique for him. He lets me actually talk through his hands. He'll play something. Oh, what was that? That was great. You know. That was Peter Cetera and David Foster talking there. Like I said, David Foster brought in Steve Porcaro, David Page, and Steve Lukather to come play on this album. And he started writing songs with... Peter Cetera, and they kind of clicked as songwriters together. And he kind of used him more as a lead singer. Now, Peter Cetera was one of the lead singers of Chicago, and he was the bass player. But basically, on this album, he kind of became the main lead singer just because he had written songs with David Foster, and they kind of gelled that way. And he has such a distinctive voice, too. Like The other guys in Chicago... Not going to lie, never been a fan of theirs particularly. The other guys don't have distinctive voices, and Peter certainly does. You want to know how he got his distinctive voice? What am I going to say? No. Well, um, <laughs> so he was at a Cubs game. Um, actually, it was a it was Dodgers-Cubs game in, in uh, L.A., and he says, four Marines didn't like a long-haired rock and roller in a baseball park, he later recounted. And of course, I was a Cub fan, and I was in Dodger Stadium, and that didn't go so well. I got in a fight and got a broken jaw in three places, and I was in intensive care for a couple of days. Oh, man. The only funny thing I can think about the whole incident is 
With my jaw wired together, I actually went on the road, he explained, and I was actually singing through my clenched jaw, which to this day is still the way I sing. Talk about a silver lining to a cloud. Jeez. You bring to my life. Anyway, so he had his mouth wired shut and uh, he kind of sang that way. And after he got it opened or whatever, he continued to kind of sing that way. And that was Mm. kind of his uniqueness of of what he did. Brian Adams kind of sings like that, too. Did he get his mouth wired shut? I don't know. I doubt he got in a fight at Dodger Stadium. But, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll have to talk about him at some point. Maybe he did. We just don't know. It's a mystery. So that album had ended up having two hits off of it that kind of kicked them back into the mainstream. And that's Chicago 16? Yes. Okay. Which songs? Yeah, Chicago 16 had Hard to Say I'm Sorry and Love Me Tomorrow on it. And it's kind of funny that they got rid of most of the brass on it because my favorite part of that whole album is the second part of Hard to Say I'm Sorry with the brass section on (laughs) get away Not to jump ahead too much, but my fav- one of my favorite songs on 17 has a great brass solo in it. And that yeah, is crazy. Uh, Please Hold On, co-written by Lionel Richie. Really? Uh, now getting back to uh, what we really were going to talk about is Chicago 17 and Stay the Night. So Chicago 17, of course, is the next album that David Foster did with them. And of course, he took this completely further on the way he was wanting to do this. Well, Peter Cetera had the hits on the last album, so he's going to sing almost all these songs. Yes, he does. We're going to we're going to do it my way and um you know, they did it and that album went 6 times platinum. I think it sold finally like almost 7 million copies or something. Wow. Well, sold one to me. I have one. Well, there you go. I did too. I actually I bought the CD and I think I had the tape. I had the tape, and now I have it on vinyl. I think it's becoming like a, it's going to becoming a drinking game for people who are listening to this. Like whenever I mention something about how I got it on vinyl, oh, here we go, drink. So I, the first time I heard this album was watching MTV. Do you remember the video for this song? <laughs> I do remember. It's like an action movie. Yeah, I love that. 
And I didn't know that this guy was like this old 70s guy, you know. He was he just seemed like he was it seemed like he was just, in the A team or something. Remember, I, I had talked to somebody and they said that this new Chicago because their sound was so different and was doing these ballads and everything, they had a complete different audience at their shows. All of a sudden they had these people and they're playing all these old hits and, and the, their audience didn't even know these songs. They only knew the new songs. Not not these other ones like Color My World, you know, and all this. This is almost the exact same story as Yes in the 80s. You know, they, okay. they had their new guitarist and songwriter, Trevor Rabin, and like they attracted a whole different audience. It was young people and they didn't know a lot of the older stuff either. <laughs> they just showed up yeah, and wanted to hear right. 90125 songs. Yeah, you had all these girls that wanted to see Trevor Rabin. Chicago 17 had four hits off of this album. Hard Habit to Break. Along Comes a Woman. You're the inspiration. You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. You bring feeling to my life. You're the inspiration. Wanna have you near me? And stay the night, which is the first first one that was released on MTV. Here is Peter Cetera. He's a mechanic, an auto mechanic, and he's coming on to this girl who's a client, and she kind of slaps him in the face and takes off in this hot rod car. Yeah, he's he getting aggressive with hangs onto the yeah he hangs onto the side of the car going down the street, and she knocks him off, and pickup comes up behind him. He's already been pretty aggressive with her, and she's rebuffed him two or three times already early on in the video. <laughs> crazy video and anyway he jumps in the back of this truck and he's standing in the back of the truck singing the song and they well he pulls up next to her in the car and he's like staring at her he's got the crazy eyes he's like in case you didn't we're gonna have to go through the lyrics too at some point because the lyrics are hilarious on this song but yeah he's just staring at her maniacally (laughs) the entire time yeah so anyway so he's standing in the back of this truck and the truck jumps on this car transport and jumps in the air and he flies out of the truck and lands in uh, on the hood of her car actually and she swerves all over and yeah, makes she, him fall she's off she's doing and burnouts picks him up again and it's a hilarious video it is it's like a magnum pi or a team video or something so you know who played drums on this song uh do i no i do not oh wait it's got to be jeff bocaro yeah, isn't that funny? Well, it would be if it wasn't the three other guys from Toto already playing with him. And as a matter of fact, not a surprise. this whole album, Peter Cetera only plays bass on this song. Hmm. Well, it's all the keyboard. The rest of it, it's all keyboard. It's all keyboard. Yeah, yeah it's David Foster's yeah. thing. It's through many, many, many albums. He'll do the bass. He'll be like, well, we don't need you. I got the bass. I got it covered. 
so the lyrics for this for this song are hilarious. They really are. <laughs> the verse is the, the verse is particular. Oh, the, you want the verses? Sure, you might as well read it in aura. I don't know. Read it. If, unless you have something in mind. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I just want to say what's on my mind. No need to hit me with an attitude, because I haven't got the time. Okay, here's I got to stop you on that, because in the video, he, she's already pushed him off her twice, and he's already been staring at her and like, you know, don't get, don't no need to hit me with this attitude. It's like okay, that's like the least sexy thing you can say. <laughs> One of many of the least sexy things you can say in this same song. <laughs> I want you to know one thing is certain. I surely love your company. And I won't take no if that's your answer. At least that's my philosophy. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Stay the night. There's room enough here for two. Stay the night. I'd like to spend it with you. Stay the night. Why don't we call it a day? <laughs> No one can stop us. Nothing is in the way. Again, least sexy things you can say. Like if you're out at a bar and picking somebody up and it's going well, like, hey, you want to come back to my place? Well, I don't know. Is there enough room? You have enough room at your place? Okay, maybe if you're living in New York or something and you live in a tiny apartment, you have a twin bed or something, maybe. But, uh, oh, and then you get there, even if you have a tiny place and you have a twin bed or whatever, and then you get there and like, well, uh, let's call it a day. There's just nothing sexy about any of that. Nothing can stop us. Nothing is in the way. He sings as he's staring at her from the back of the truck with his gigantic maniac eyes. <laughs> oh, the lyrics on that are bad. What's the, what's, kind of, what's the next verse? Uh, the next verse. Um, have some friendly conversation. <laughs> and if you still don't have a clue... Unless there's something else you've got in mind, we've got better things to do. I'd say she's got a clue. <laughs> yeah. And then the ver or the chorus is the same as before. Yeah. I should say the chorus, the chorus is killer. Like this this song for a kind of jazzy <laughs> fusiony rock song, the chorus is really rocking. Yeah. With mostly clean and guitars. Two, two different keys in the same song. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about like changing keys. Which they do. He's actually playing in two different keys in this song, which is bizarre. Do they? Just, okay, now here's the here's the bridge. Just to have you near me, here by my side. Just to have you near me, and when I get next to your body. Oh, oh, not your. Just to have you near me. Oh, not your body. Your body. When I get next. One to thing your I can body. tell you. We're gonna be fine. We're gonna have a very good time. We're gonna have a very good time. Yeah, also not sexy, I don't think. <laughs> no, but I love the song. Me too. I absolutely love it. <laughs> I think the lyrics um, are doofy. One of the things that I really like about this album is you can turn it loud. I don't know if I ever have. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, because I have it on vinyl. Well, what am I going to do? Crank it up here, huh? No, okay. Well, the way they mixed this album, they kind of mixed it like a pop song. Meaning, there's not much muddiness to the album. They really went to the whole, you know, taking the 200 to 500 hertz and really cutting it down. So that in your low end, there's a kick drum and a bass, and that's about 
all that is down there. All the muddiness of a guitar is all cut out. Yes. The muddiness of the vocals is cut out. It's all just kind of cut off. And so, you know, the low end of the song is not competing with each other. Therefore, the, the stereo can play it easier. You can turn it up louder. And um, it was pretty cool. You know, they do that kind of stuff in uh, some Michael Jackson songs. Um, you know, there's just some of the songs are, are really mixed like that. And they did that with this album. Yeah, it's very clean sounding and very uh, very processed, but it sounds amazing. And and they used a lot of keyboards, but it doesn't really. I mean, I guess it does sound like that with the whole love songs or whatever. But but the stay the night's got guitars in it, and obviously, you know, I, like we said before, it's got real bass. But it's it's the main driving of this song is the keyboards, and huge. The choruses are huge. Tons of layers of guitars, clean and dirty. There's also a cool little triplet bit right before uh, the second chorus. Just like... Oh, I love that kind part. of slips in out of nowhere, and it sounds like it might be edited in. But it's just... I love that... Yeah, that clean strat. I've never heard a clean strat rock like that. It's so awesome. I think we should probably put a link to David Foster video in for, on Netflix. It's really great, and it tells the story of him, and he's just gone on to so much... And Chicago still plays songs from that album. He didn't work with them again after this, I don't think, did he? He did one more, uh, Chicago 18. Oh, okay. I don't know any songs off Neither of it. Neither do I. I'm sure there was a couple of hits. But Peter Cetera left the band after this album. Right. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, But he got popular, and he... I don't know if he left or got fired, but it was kind of a quasi, you know, in between the two. Mm -hmm. um, because... He kind of wanted to go do a solo thing, and they didn't want him to do a solo record. And so he said, well, then I'm going to leave. Yeah. And then he had a few more number one hits after that. Yeah, and the band still do a lot of the songs from 16 and 17 to this very day. And it's, you know, well, they have to. 40 years later. They're their biggest hits yeah, of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the, uh, there's a part where one of the, in the Foster documentary, where uh, one of the, the uh one of the horn players says, I mean, we knew the music was amazing. We have ears. <laughs> but, I mean, we sure didn't have much to do on it. Just David Foster is a pretty amazing guy. And a lot of people, a lot of Chicago fans, don't like what he did with Chicago in the 80s. And they really bad talk it. But he brought them back from the depths of hell. <laughs> well, not the depths of hell. <laughs> well, he brought... <laughs> He brought them back like the phoenix out of the out of the ashes, yeah, yeah. and uh, brought them back. And then now they're they're relevant. If you know they can tour today and still make money, if they would have just kind of quietly died after that Chicago fourteen album, they wouldn't be touring today. And those guys, you know, who knows how much money they would have, you know, at this point in in their careers. And that's just kind of the way it went. David Foster helped them to. Make a bunch of money, and like it or not, he did. They had some hit songs. Some of them are pretty good. That's the way it was. Stay the night. There's room enough here for two. Stay the night. We're going to have a very good time. Mm. And now my car is going to go jumping through the ramp. and <laughs> Through the Chicago sign. Oh, so great. So what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about Clue from 1985. It was right before Back to the Future. And I only know that because Christopher Lloyd played in both of them. And filmed them in the same year. Oh, that's right. That's right. 
He also is in the new Mandalorian that was released the other oh, day. Oh, is he? <laughs> yes. I've seen none of that. Uh, it's a pretty good show. So, <clears throat> I don't know if I saw Clue at the movie theater. I don't think I did. I th- I can't remember if I saw it in the theater or on video first. Uh, I think I saw it on video. I don't know if I've ever seen it in the theater, actually. Now that you mention it, I think it was just video. But I saw it at the time when it first came out. And I remember when I saw it, I loved it. Yeah, I did I thought too. Tim Curry was great. Um, Tim Curry is a great actor. He is. But uh, so so this this movie Clue is of course about the Parker Brothers mm-hmm. board game Clue. Anyway, they made a movie out of it. The only place in the world that is called Clue is here in North America because in the rest of the world it's called Cluedo. Professor Plum. You were once a professor of psychiatry, specializing in helping paranoid and homicidal lunatics suffering from delusions of grandeur. Yes, but now I work for the United Nations. So your work has not changed. So anyway, so they made a movie about it, and this is like a murder mystery kind of movie, and it takes six strangers go to uh, dinner at this mansion in New England. And um, I can't remember if Tim Curry... we can get to the end of this, but Tim Curry is the butler at this mansion. Yes. And Mr. Body, who in the game is the guy who's been killed, is he's been um, blackmailing all the guests. And that's kind of why they're there, all there for dinner, and they're all using different names. You know who the actor who played Mr. Body was? No, I don't. Lee Ving. Remember Lee Ving? Who's that? He's the singer from the punk band Fear. Remember, remember, okay. Oh my gosh, Sound, are you kidding Sound me? Sound City, remember Sound City? Oh yes, I totally know that. That was him? Wow, if, wow. Yes, that was him. And actually it was like, when, when when he came up in the credits, I'm like, Lee Ving? Is that D. Lee Ving? As soon as he shows up on screen, wow. I'm like, absolutely, that's him. He of course looks a lot older now. <laughs> well, of course. But check out some of the other movies he's been in. Like, I didn't even know he was that much of an actor. Or even an actor at all, to be honest. He was in The Wildlife, which I guess I'm going to have to find and watch. because That's the one with so the Van Halen songs, right? With the yeah, Van Halen yeah. soundtrack, right. And then he was in Flashdance. He was in Streets of Fire. He was in Fame. He was on Who's the Boss. He was in Repo Man. And Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Really? Yeah. Excellent. And, I mean, oh my God. Just checking. Everything all right? Yep. Two corpses. Everything's fine. So Mr. Body gets killed. In this, in this. Now, I'm not going to say, of course, uh, spoiler alert. Forty <laughs> year old. This has been out for 25, 30, 30 years. Thirty five year old movie. Thirty five years. Well, his name is Mister Body, as if there was any mystery about what was going to happen to him. Right. Okay. <laughs> so Miss Scarlet, she runs a brothel. Miss Peacock is takes bribes for her husband. Mrs. White maybe killed her husband, who was a nuclear physicist. Professor Plum, he was a psychologist who lost his license due to an affair with one of his patients. <laughs> and and didn't that patient come to the ring the doorbell? Yeah, she's the sing- she's remember. the singing telegram girl. And you know you know who that was? That was Jane Whelan from <laughs> the Go Go's. <laughs> really? Yeah. She was okay. the rhythm rhythm guitar player. Colonel Mustard was a war profiteer, and Mr. Green was a homosexual who needs to keep it secret. So these are all the things that Mr. Body was blackmailing all these guests with. The game's up, Scarlet. 
There are no more bullets left in that gun. Oh, come on. You don't think I'm going to fall for that old trick. It's not a trick. There was one shot at Mr. Body in the study, two for the chandelier, two at the lounge door, and one for the singing telegram. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. Uh-uh. There was only one shot that got the chandelier. That's one plus two plus one plus one. Even if you were right, that would be one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one plus one. Okay, fine. One plus two plus one. Shut up! Which one was, um, Christopher Lloyd? He was the, the psychologist. Professor Plum. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We should. We might as well mention the rest of the cast. The cast is amazing in this. It's Chris. It's Tim. Uh, Tim Curry is the butler, and then the other. The rest of the cast includes Madeline Kahn, famous from a bunch of Mel Brooks movies. Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKeon, from a million things. Martin Mull, who was a sort of comedian and and writer at the time. Uh, Leslie Ann Warren, who was also famous from uh, Mel Brooks. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breath. You know who was supposed to be in that, that, but she, she couldn't get in. It was, um, Carrie Fisher was, was going to play the part that Leslie Ann Warren ended up. I don't remember who she, which part she, she auditioned for, but uh, Madonna applied for one of them too. Really? Yeah. Hmm. See who else was in it? The maid, the large-breasted maid, <laughs> was in a movie that I watched not too long ago. The, the one about the day that Star Wars was released. Mm. Doesn't look anything like she did in this in this movie. Oh, Howard Hessman cameos from Howard Hessman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Great. He plays the FBI guy. Yeah. So pandemonium ensues. They're running all over. Who did this? This is what happened. The key's gone. Never mind about the key. Unlock the door. I can't unlock the door without the key. Let us in. Let us in. Let us out. Let us out. It's no good. Stand back. There's no alternative. They had different uh, endings on the VHS and the DVD and all that. They show all the different endings. But at the theaters, they released a different ending in in different theaters. Did you know that? I did know that. And they kind of did it on purpose to get people to see it numerous times to try to trick ah, people. Oh, there we go. So they would say, like, oh, man, the ending was so great that uh, Mr. Body did it, say. They're like, no, he didn't. It was uh, Miss Plum or Miss Scarlet or whoever. And they're like, no, he didn't. I, would, I swear to you. And then they'd go and watch it and it would be something completely different. <laughs> yeah, so some of the theaters would advertise which ending they were running. Oh, wow. So that they could get more people to come and, come and watch hmm. But it is a funny movie. If you've never seen it, it's kind of a cult classic nowadays. Um, yes, it is. And if you've ever played the game, and you know the game kind of gets old after you play it about four or five times. But uh, it's a great movie, and it's a lot of fun. You can watch it with your kids for the most part. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's a non-stop. It doesn't really ever slow down either. Yeah, it kind of... The dialogue is very fast-paced. It actually reminds me... I don't remember where I saw this or if it is actually true, but somebody mentioned something about Tom Stoppard being involved with it in the writing of it early on. He's not... Who's that? Tom Stoppard is the guy who wrote Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's a play that was made into a movie. Brilliant. He also did Shakespeare in Love. He's done a lot of other things, but he's very... My Dinner with Andre? No, he didn't do... That was, uh, no, that was written by Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory. <laughs> um, no, but he's he's very like 
he's British and he's this the style of writing of this reminds me of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead a bit which it's very like back and forth really rapid fire and yeah highly recommend that one too okay chief take him away I'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife it's almost like Knives Out was a comedy type mm, of thing you know they've had a bunch of those they've had a bunch of those movies out Knives Out there's a there's a sequel to Knives Out Knives um, Out 2 the second night. See how they run is a murder mystery that takes place in a theater. Of course, murder on the Nile, murder on the Orient Express. What's the one about? So the... I think that they they're doing a lot of those now. This actually probably would have been real popular if they would have released it today. What's the one about the band that gets murdered? Uh, it's called like Green Room or something like that. I'm think, not familiar I with. Think that. it is. I don't think it was very good or very popular. Anyway, Clue, Tim Curry, like you said, a bunch of guys, Howard Hessman. Christopher Lloyd, Gene Weedland, Lee Ving. <laughs> Lee Ving. Wow, that one, two, blows three, four, my one, mind. Two, three, I didn't even I didn't even didn't even put that together. <laughs> I guess when I watched cuz I watched this a few weeks ago. Right. I uh he looked familiar to me, but that's probably why. Yeah. Well, there I mean I find that with a lot of people. They use a lot of character actors in t- various movies and I have no idea what their names. But I mean, he's just so he's such a huge part of the movie Sound City. And if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Sound City, I mean, finish listening to us, then go watch Sound City. <laughs> and don't forget to listen to the six-minute acoustic version of Poison, Give Me Something to Believe In. I still haven't listened to that six-minute version. You need to listen to it. It's terrible. Anyway, thanks for joining <laughs> us. I hope you had fun today. <laughs> yeah, we're so we talked about uh, Chicago and Clue. If you have anything you'd like to add to any of these things, drop us a line at tapeheads80 at gmail.com. Or if you have a movie to recommend or something you'd like to hear us talk about, yeah. maybe we haven't heard of it. You know, That's totally a great reason to write into us, too. I had a friend ask me to do a, do a show on Erasure, but I don't know any Erasure stuff. I know a little and bit. I, I never listened to it. Much. Yeah, I had somebody recommend Bronsky Beat, and I don't know anything about them either. Yeah, see, maybe we'll do these shows. I think we um, should. I think it'd be fun to do that. Don't forget to go on Spotify and look at our playlists. We have done some playlists on there. Of uh, We did a playlist for our power ballads, for Tears for Fears. We did a, one for the Guitar Gods yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. And did we do one for the Heavy Metal Hits? Yes, we did. Okay. Yeah, go back and take a look at those. Listen to them while you work from home. Yeah, and we put listen to them in the shower. Yeah, we put listen to wherever you, wherever you want. We uh, we do. You can find all that stuff by clicking through to our episode links on the show. So we have the link to the all the playlist yeah, on. There. Yeah, the playlist will be on there. Okay. The documentary and all the Chicago stuff and Spotify links and everything. Sweet, it's all there. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us today. I'm Blaine, and I appreciate you listening to us. And I will. See you again in a couple weeks. And I'm Todd, and I'd like to thank you again also. Um, Thanks for supporting this crazy endeavor, and uh, we'll see you next time.